0: QB one, QB one. Come on, guys. QB one, QB. No, no. I, I, I don't know why I always try to get you guys to do chance. With oh, I was never there. Do
1: it. Maybe my mic was just muted. Sorry. Uh, Didn't uh, that's, a, hanging.
0: that's OK. I'm used to it at this point. All right. Welcome to Knowles 24 sevens on the bench podcast. That's Chris Nee, Josh Newberg. The gang is all here. And we are talking about QB one. That's James Blackman. Uh, we're actually recording this. And for the full sake of transparency, uh, ahead of time, we we believe James Blackman going into Sunday was going to be named the starting quarterback uh, to the team. All three of us had different intel saying as much of the team. It, everyone expected him to at this point. It's just a matter of time before he's named. So we want to have the reaction ready to go before the news even happens. You think that's ethical, guys? I think it's I think it's fine. As long as Alex Hornerbrook isn't somehow uh, things don't change in like the next few hours. I think we're all set here.
2: We're all badasses, and this one will never see the light of
0: day. It'll it'll be like a um, put it in a vault somewhere and open it up in a few years, and it'll be like a, a collector's item.
2: It'll be like the E. T. video games that they buried thousands of somewhere randomly.
0: What they buried E. T. video games? Yeah, I think there's even a Netflix uh like
2: show about it, like a documentary. Yeah, the E. T. video game that was supposed to be like awesome, but ended up being. Awful. There's thousands of copies supposedly buried somewhere, like in a I, I think it's like a garbage dump. We're very much off topic, with' been yeah, months, so. yeah
0: there's big there's big okay. there's big news here. yeah, the FSU named his starting quarterback, uh, and it's James Blackman. and uh, and again, this isn't something that's, that's a huge surprise. We've documented fairly fairly uh, exhaustively through the last week and a half or so that Alex Hornerbrook did make it a a closer battle than maybe initially expected in camp that he took a lot of first team reps. Uh, Some, someone told me maybe close to like a 50, 50 break, but it was pretty close even going into the scrimmage this week. Josh, I want to start with you. Not surprised by this, right? Uh, But, but what do you think of the actual decision, the timing of it, the way it's handled uh, right now and just overall James Blackman being the starting quarterback for Boise state?
1: Well, it makes sense because if Willie Taggart didn't name James, the starter coming out of the spring and didn't name him the starter heading into camp, then this was the most logical time to do it. Um, as we talked about on podcast before we, you know, we thought there was maybe a need to, to hold off on naming the QB because of a possible transfer from the other guys and, and affecting depth. Well, you know, whether that's true or not, it's plenty of time. It's okay. Um, think the fact that James Blackman was a leader off the field for so long, he's going to make the seamless transition of being, becoming that leader on the field as well. All
0: right. And, and Chris, you, uh, you, I think pretty much share the same views, right? Like I feel like we're all kind of on the same page with this. so, so like, I, this is something that we expected. Um, but in terms of having James, like as the face of the, of the program right now, at least, you know, when you're quarterback, you're, you're the face of the program, uh, do you think that was ultimately the, the right decision? And did you like the way this was handled?
2: I think they wanted to allow the best quarterback to kind of step forward. I don't think they're thinking about long-term, even though I think James is the best long-term option. I think it was a matter of trying to find a guy that they believed could lead FSU to best against Boise State, the best going forward in the season, and that fit what they were trying to do. And I think Blackman's a guy that kind of had to fit into what they were expecting and that didn't necessarily have a guy that fits Anything that they're trying to do perfectly. They haven't really recruited a guy who's tailor made for their system. So they had a couple different types of body types, different types of ability types. You know, Alex can do different things and James can do. You throw Jordan Travis in the conversation, especially with getting the waiver. I think it was a matter of figuring out which one of those three main options gave you the best option on the field. And I think James does for a multitude of reasons. I don't think the competition was, you know, I, the competition was closer than I expected, but at the end of the day, I don't think it was so close that like one thing gave James a nod all the other. I think James won the quarterback battle. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it, it does. And and that's kind of what I've tried to rationalize through uh, knowing that learning that James was going to be the starting quarterback and, and why it took uh, throughout the entirety of fall camp and why you gave so many valuable reps to to Alex Hornibrook within the context of, you know, the first team offense up through this point in camp. Uh, I think with, with James, I guess what you had to see from him was one, how do you do with legitimate competition and pressure and, and things not going well. And you know, our understanding was that he had a really good start to camp, had a little bit of a lull in the middle of it. And I think that opened up things for Hornibrook, who was a little bit more consistent and down that stretch. And then uh, James finished things well and, and finished camp. Well, my understanding was even, up to the scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, and I don't know what day that is based on when we actually run this podcast, uh, either, either yesterday or, or the weekend, I should say safely. But, uh, but James apparently started the scrimmage as QB one. He got the first reps with the first team offense. And then he, uh, he ended the scrimmage getting the first reps with the first team offense. And, and I think that's what they want to see is how James did with controversy, with a little bit of things being unstable. Ah, uh, throughout camp, and ultimately he got out the other side of it okay. So I think the quarterback situation is much better uh, than it was, what we thought it was going to be a couple months ago. Hornerbrook playing well is a good thing, uh, and and pushing James a little bit was a good thing. Uh, but ultimately, we're here with with James QB one. Uh, Josh, you had good intel. You and I heard it around the same day. I think it was that that brook when we started hearing that Alex was making a little bit of a push.
1: It was right uh, that, after that first scrimmage.
0: Right, right, exactly. It was right after that first scrimmage. It was on the heels of IMG Academy, uh, and, and again, I think that was when Alex was being more consistent. Uh, what were you hearing at that time? Because, because I think people were kind of rolling their eyes when when we were reporting this. But you and I were hearing it from multiple sources inside the program to the point where where it seemed fairly consistent.
1: Yeah, I even um, was told that you know while both of them were we're acting like gentlemen. Let's just say that there was some, some challenging of leadership at times. One scenario I was told, um, was at the beginning of fall camp, the quarterbacks and receivers alternate every day. So every quarterback's throwing with a different group of receivers every day. And one of the days, Keith Gavin was heading out to throw with Hornybrook and, and, and Blackman said, you know, Hey, it's my day with Gavin. And, brook was like, Yeah, you know, that was, you know, today's a new day. And he was just gonna kind of keep keep walking out there with with Gavin. And Blackman was like, no, like you know, no, this isn't how it's gonna operate. And he kind of asserted himself as as leader. And I think it was like uh, it was kind of a back and forth. And while James didn't pull away, um, Horny back- brook also did enough to kind of keep his name in the conversation from the first scrimmage all the way to the second. And here we are with James Blackman as our starter, but I think that there was a healthy competition the whole way through camp.
0: I think yeah, been, it, it would have been great to see a, a knockdown drag out fight between the two quarterbacks over who got to throw the ball to Keith Gavin. <laughs> you want,
1: you
2: want things to be uncomfortable though, especially I in a agree. setting where yeah. we are competitive. I, I think, I think that's an excellent way of going about it. And, Alex is a very confident young man. Who's had a lot of starts under his belt, played major college football games. He knows who and what he is. And he's very comfortable in his own skin and he didn't come here to be a backup. And then James is a guy who obviously has one year of experience sat on the bench last year for the majority of the season, but he's also kind of been in that position when he's been the guy. So you have two guys who have alpha mentalities and you want them to bang heads because it kind of forces them to go out there and be the best capable player they can be in a practice setting And that's going to help the cream rise to the top.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And the person that told me this, you know, they also said that this has been a very respectable battle. The two guys, even though they, you know, they have their differences or or compete out on the field when they get back into the film room, they're all going, you know, they're all, they're all talking, they're all friendly and it's just great competition. I think this is a a much better situation than what we had last year.
0: I think, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure the talent is better in the quarterback room, but I do think it's a healthier quarterback room, if that makes sense. I agree with that. Well, I definitely think number
2: two is trying to make number one better. I don't think it's you know two guys who don't really care for one another, which I think is an important element. You want competitiveness, but you also want a guy that – when a guy comes off the field and he's screwed up, a coach can yell at him. But if a player says something to him, it usually helps it because that's a guy who's in the exact same shoes as you. And it's also the guy who's competing for your job, but yet he's there trying to help you. So I think there's an element to that that was absent last year with number one and number two not exactly being the best of buds that I think does exist in this element, and it goes beyond one and two. I think a guy like Jordan Travis helps. I think the walk-ons with a guy like Wyatt Rector helps. You've got a lot more confidence in that room and a lot more guys that are kind of on the same page all trying to make FSU as good as it can be.
0: I try really to hard I tried really hard not to giggle when you said number one and number two a couple times, Chris,
2: try not to be a child to you know. I know it's tough for you.
0: That's what, that's what I'm here for is to, uh, to drag down your guys' credibility. All right. Uh, with First the sophomore. offense, <laughs> it's very, very freshman Mork of me uh, with the offense. Now being James Blackman's uh, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on, let's see. I'm trying to think of the way to phrase this. I guess, what does the offense look like? What do we think it looks like with James Blackman as it applies to what Kendall Browse wants to do? and fitting in with James strengths and also kind of uh, playing off of his weaknesses or trying to avoid his weaknesses.
2: Well, I don't think the offense would look drastically different with anybody at their disposal. I think it's kind of a, you know, you're fitting the quarterback into what you're trying to do more than the quarterback. It creates what you're trying to do. As far as how James fits, what I think Kendall Browse is trying to accomplish. I think it's a lot of quick throws, quick decisions, and then it's the ability to go vertical when time permits, when the protection is there, and when they keep guys back to help with the protection. I think James is a little better as far as helping with his legs and maybe Alex would be. I actually think Jordan Travis is probably the best of the three of them in that regard. That's just a personal opinion. Um, But I I think it just makes the offense a little more where – There's a very strong familiarity between the guy who is distributing the ball and the guys he's giving it to, both in the running backs and the receivers. He's got a lot of experience with a lot of those guys as compared to Alex. He's tried to be a quick study, but has only been here since May. So there's just not that natural rhythm that some guys have with one another. James Blackman has a natural rhythm with a lot of those number two receivers from last year. A lot of those guys he's kind of cut his teeth with over the last two seasons.
0: We we need to get a GoFundMe going to get Ney a better set of headphones. Uh, <laughs> Josh, uh, I'm going to ask you a semi-controversial question here, and and you're the uh, the expert at addressing controversial questions or or starting your own controversy. Uh, do you think James remains the starting quarterback uh, the entire season? Say not that he gets injured, but do you think he plays consistent enough to be quarterback one from wire to wire? Or do you think that the staff is looking to maybe say, okay, you know, if he's if he messes up or or doesn't execute things as consistently as we like, like ha, how much room for error do you think he has until Alex Warnerbrook is, is called on possibly?
1: Well, Willie Taggart displayed a lot of patience for mediocre quarterback play last season. Um, but this season is a little bit different because he doesn't have the same, you know, it was year one, you don't have the same cushion that you have in year two for sure. So the other thing you have to, so you ask yourself, does Willie Taggart, um, make a quicker pull this year, or does he just have patience with his quarterbacks and believes that when he makes that choice in the, in the beginning, that that's the guy he's going to ride through the entire season. But this year, you also have to factor in how much of a, a decision does Kendall Bryles have in this, um, Kendall Bryles, as we've heard throughout the fall is in complete control of the offense. So is it going to be his choice whether or not to pull James Blackman midseason If, if things are, are struggling or if they hit a rough spot, I don't know, but I'm going to say this. I think uh, if it's not a health thing, I think James Blackman plays this whole year. Um, Now, if they go out and lose to Boise, all bets are off. But I'm assuming that they're going to beat Boise State this coming weekend. And I think if they get through Boise State, the schedule, you know, while it has its peaks and valleys, I think it's very doable for James. He faced a, a very good NC State team last year and put up big numbers, had probably one of the best offensive games any quarterback had for the for the Knowles last year. So I think he's fully capable of leading this team for the entire year. Um, I, I just, I don't see FSU making a move to, to Alex Hornibrook or Jordan Travis um, at any point in the season, but maybe I'm wrong. Chris, what do you think? I think that James
2: Blackman should be where I guess technically Willie Taggart would be the rider die chick to James Blackman.
1: <laughs> you think he is though?
2: I think he has to be. I think if I didn't, whoever is picked, and ultimately we think James will be the one picked, I think you have to stick with it. That was your decision. You made that off of 20-plus preseason practices, a week of game preparation for Boise. That's your dude. You ride with Band that. If sprint. you're going to go away from that, I think you got to abandon ship and never go back.
0: Well, uh, well that may be the, the end game if you did – uh, sorry, I just watched Avengers Endgame last night, so it's on the top of my head. If you did want go away from James Blackman, I do wonder at any point in the season, uh, for if you don't like the way he's playing, I would do wonder what that would do long term to the quarterback room and, and his future with the team. But uh, as it applies to James uh, going into the season, I, I guess I wonder like why. I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase it, I guess I wonder why they gave Hornbrook so many reps so late into camp. Um, I understood the, the mixing and matching of working those guys with ones and twos, you know, the first week and a half or so, and even first through the first two weeks and through the first scrimmage. Uh, but that's what gets, makes me wonder like how committed are they to James Blackman? and not for personally. Like I think James Blackman, like I'm excited that he's quarterback one. I think he's a really good fit for what they want to do on offense, not ideal, but, but fits in well, uh, but more importantly, he's, He's a guy that deserves to be the face of the program. He's paid his dues. I think the team will play really hard for him. I think it's a logical decision. But, guys, I just don't understand, I guess, why. I know we said it was good. Good decision. it's good to have some competition, but I guess I wonder why it lingered so long into camp uh, and why you, you didn't have James take so many first-team reps up to this point. That's the one thing I wonder about.
2: But do, you, do you think Willie and the staff ever had any intention of announcing this thing any sooner than they eventually did?
0: but it's not announcing like announce that's fine. Play it close to your, to your, to your chest if you need to, but like the reps again, uh, we're not there watching it. So I have to go with what I'm told, but it was fairly close to 50, 50 for a good chunk of camp. And and even going into the final week. And I think it it sounded like it was still fairly split. So I guess that's what I am having a hard time rationalizing and and trying to figure out the the reasoning for, Uh, does it mean that they didn't weren't super comfortable with James? Does it mean that they really liked Alex? Does it mean a little bit of both. Like I, I really don't know the, I think the thought the context, process behind
1: that. The context will become clear after they beat Boise State or lose to Boise State. I mean, yeah, if they go out true. and win the first game, none of it matters. And the competition was great. If they go out and lose the first game, then people are going to start questioning whether James Blackman should have got more reps. I mean, it. You know, winning, winning makes things look a lot different either way.
2: I agree. Even when he wasn't first team, he was still getting reps with second team and they're, they intend to use a lot of receivers. So like, I, I don't, I don't think it's detrimental for a guy to have to kind of split reps. I also think it's all make him uncomfortable, see how he responds, see how he handles it, put him in that setting, kind of, you know, kind of grind his gears and see what it does to him, both how he emotionally reacts and how he physically reacts and what he does in practice Does he try to do too much and, go out and prove himself in a manner where, you know, it gets wild and reckless, or does he go out, be even killed, put together a good day of practice, and let the results show on film? You know, I, I, think, I, I think we're overthinking it, like most things we do. But I think a lot of it is just kind of, you don't want to hand the guys the keys just to hand them to them. You want to make them earn it, and I think some of that was going on. I think some of it was gamesmanship.
0: Are you saying that I have a tendency to overthink things, Chris?
2: We do podcasts on singular subjects and they last for an hour so i would say we tend to overthink <laughs> things. all
0: right so that's a cue to hurry it up i i'm going to end this first part of the segment which is again focusing on james blackman being qb1 entering the year uh and then we'll go to a break but uh but yes or no guys was this the right decision for fsu to go james blackman as qb1 i say yes definitively
1: yes yeah I, I was pushing this in april
3: Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: All right, welcome back. We're going to play a game of Camp Superlatives. Josh is going to be the host. Chris and I are going to be the, uh, the opponents. There's not actually going to be a score, so I don't know how much of a competitive game it's going to be. But it's going to be a way for us to wrap up fall camp, which technically ended on Saturday with the scrimmage. But first, Josh, you were there in person. You got to see Florida and Miami go at it. And man, what a shit show of a football game that was.
1: Yeah, it was uh, It was awesome being – well, you know what? I actually did not go to the game. Um, I was in Orlando though, but it was awesome. Um, <laughs> Wait,
0: so you went to Orlando for the tailgate and then go to the actual game?
1: Yeah, yeah. I had no <laughs> intentions of going in that stadium.
0: Did you go to pom-poms? Um, did you go to the well, restaurant no, we, I told you to go the- to?
1: at the tailgate, we had a big projector screen and, um, there was like 50, 75 people that hung out and w- just watched the game from the parking lot. So anyway, it was just great for me to be in the middle, being able to talk shit to two fan bases at the same time with no consequences. I mean, yeah, Dan, was awesome. you, had, <laughs> you know, I, we got to play Boise state in a week and, um, you know, the same energy you put out there comes back at you if, if things go sideways. But there was some bad football being played. I mean, in the beginning, it was typical of what you see in a rivalry, a lot of physical play, um, running the ball, kind of feeling each other out, see, seeing what's going to happen throughout the game. But it really deteriorated in the third and fourth quarter. I mean, I know Florida State was a team that you could laugh at for for their offensive line woes and, and their offense. In general, but man, Miami and UF—they looked like there was a lot of dysfunction, and you wonder if it was just week zero or if there was a lot of lies being told this summer.
0: Chris, how much did you enjoy watching that that debacle of a football my game? Fa- m- my favorite moment was
2: Spurrier getting caught on camera yeah. being, like, <laughs> "What in the hell is going on here?" That—that that was he summed it up single-handedly. The best moment. John Campbell had about the worst night of his life. I think some coaches were shown to be a little over their head with their roles and coaching, um, specifically in the orange and green team. And Felipe Franks thinks he's really good and uh, pump them brakes a little bit. I mean, he did torch FSU last year, so I know I'm going to hear that as a retort. But mm-hmm. Felipe Felipe last night was acting like a dude that went for 450 and just owned the game. And no, not so much. That's not how his evening went. So I just thought it was kind of a weird deal, but. I think it was a lot of week zero, week one, but I think Miami certainly has a crappy offensive line and I don't think it's going to get drastically better. And I think Florida has got some O line issues too. So it's kind of a, it's a state thing, man. It's what the big three does these days, that offensive line play.
0: And we all, we all feel, I imagine we all feel better about Florida state's chances. That's what the context of, you know, Florida oh, no, State man. not playing.
2: I don't feel anything about MSU. It, that didn't, that didn't change, change anything for you? Boise game. No. No, FSU needs to play a game so I know what the hell their defense now is, and if the offense is to some level improved, especially the offensive line. I'm just I'm not going in with any preconceived notion of it's all better now.
0: I'm sipping the Kool Aid. Florida been yeah, both we'll, rivals this year.
1: I think Mark we're going to see a lot of improvement just due to uh, better communication. You know the way that it's being streamlined now through two main coaches instead of just kind of being all over the place. I think that, I think that is going to play a vital part in this offense looking satisfactory. Yeah. I finally wrote the story and Josh read it. And this is what happened.
0: Aw, synergy. So cute. I'm buying so it, adorable. I'm
1: Sipping uh knees Kool-Aid that he poured for me.
0: Thank mm. you. All right. So going to do a little game of camp superlatives, camp rewards. And essentially this is just going to be a fun way for us to kind of semi-rapid fire recap, uh, FSU's yeah, camp.
1: Let's rapid fire this thing. I'm going to ask you guys a couple questions. Give me one name. Give me one name. Um, I'll start it off with Chris. Uh, Who stood out to you most on the offense, you know, during the, during fall camp, Keyshawn Helen. He brought it every day. Most on defense. I'd probably go with Amari gainer. I think he's taking a big leap forward and he's a significant two deep player. Now it'd be great to see him work in. Um, so known to you on offense, who is most impressive?
0: I'll stay with the slot receiver theme, but I'll go DJ Matthews. Uh, he was really consistent from everything we heard. Uh, I think at one point he caught the most passes of anyone in camp. In one-on-one battles, uh, he seems focused. I I really think he's going to have a great season, especially with JB throwing him the ball. Defense? Uh, he didn't practice the entire time, but when he was healthy and right, man, he's Marvin Wilson's just going to be a stud, especially in the role they're having him that. He's going to crash the pocket inside. He showed he can do stunts outside. Like he's going to be the full package. I think he's going to be really, really great this season.
1: And he's moving well. Did you have you laid eyes on him since his
0: return? He, he's still working back a little bit. Uh, he looked great before the knee injury, uh, and we expect him to be full go for Boise State. Uh, but I can't give you a percentage of like where he's at physically. It didn't look like a hundred percent yet from from what we saw. All
1: right, Chris. To you, who's the who's been the top rookie on offense?
0: Top rookie
1: on offense. Well, Ryan Roberts count. even know he's a grad yeah, transfer. Yeah, that's why sure. I said rookie, not freshman.
2: Ryan Roberts would be the man. He's your starting right tackle, and you know it takes away one big issue they had entering the preseason. What about on defense? Uh, Jaleel McCray would have been that dude after the spring, but man, he had a quiet camp. Um, you know, I think it might be Travis J. He's a guy I consistently heard high praise of how he was performing in camp. It's weird. They've been moving guys around in the secondary as far as depth chart, so it was kind of tough to gauge where Travis would settle in per second, third team type deal, but he made a lot of plays. He earned regular praise both from the coaches and other players.
1: Yeah, I mean, just reading the interviews, it, it sounds like we're going to see Travis Jay on the field this year. Uh, so known to you, uh, most impressive rookie on offense?
0: I'll save you time. Boring. Ryan Roberts is who I had, and Travis J is who I had for both those categories. Okay, really, well. really
1: mixing it up here. Why
0: not we got Dante energy, Lucas, baby? Well, cause I, I think Dante Lucas, you know, when I wrote the question uh, for the script, I was thinking freshman uh, and then we clarified that it could be a newcomer and I have to go Ryan Roberts just because he entrenched himself from day one uh, a, as a starter, whereas Dante Lucas is he's a true freshman. He doesn't have as much experience as, as Ryan Roberts. So uh, if we're talking about true freshman on offense, yeah, it's, it's Dante Lucas and that's a no brainer. Uh, but if we're just encompassing all newcomers, I got to go with the guy who's going to guarantee start start day one. Are you concerned
1: uh, that Jamil McRae had a quiet fall camp, or do you just think that maybe he flew under the radar? And what we saw in the spring is going to carry over to the season.
0: He he may be um, he may be someone that I give you an answer to a little bit later on in this uh, in this segment. So uh, mm-hmm. and it may be regarding a disappointing performance in camp.
1: Most pleasant surprise of camp for you, Chris Nee? The surprise of camp. The most pleasant. Ple- it's got to be pleasant.
2: Most Feel good. pleasant surprise? Um, hmm. <laughs> I would say health. We've had no catastrophic injuries that we know of, which is a big mm-hmm. deal. You go through 20 practices, you usually get one. At least a guy or two is going to miss that first game, and for FSU, it's such an important first game. So none of that's a real you know, crowd pleaser I think it's a good thing for them to go in with 60 70 capable bodies for that first game
1: I agree um, what about disappointing development of camp for you Chris I think we know Brendan's but what about you what what has kind of been a letdown for you this camp
2: I uh, disappointing is an unfair word because it's more that I, I don't have a clear knowledge of how it's going to work. I'm very interested mm-hmm. in the three, four and how it's going to produce pass rushing results. I'm not disappointed per se. I'm just not wholeheartedly convinced that it's going to work. Like everybody's
1: hoping it's going to Yeah. Work. Y- talking to you off the record, I think you have a bit of a concern with the defense, right? Would well, that be fair to say?
2: Yeah, I, I do. I, uh, I, I want to, I think the defense is, Main jobs is one creating turnovers and two creating havoc when it can create havoc. That they're going to give up plays, they're going to give up yards, they're going to give up points, but they have to have some major plus plays in their favor, too. And I'm just not convinced that what they're trying to do is going to produce that with the personnel they have at their disposal. I the big body DN type working in space, I'm not super comfortable with. I'm interested to see how a guy like Amari Gaynor handles a guy rushing out in the fourth quarter who's 240 pounds and been pounding it at him all day, like an AJ Dillon. There's a lot of moving parts. There a lot of things. I want to see a lot of things that I don't have any answer for until it happens in a real game.
0: Guys, it's a multiple front. It's not a three, four.
1: Yeah. Bullshit. Okay. Next question. <laughs> uh, so known to you, biggest surprise and your biggest disappointment
0: uh, surprise at camp. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, the offensive line, the fact that they show that they have a, uh, a pulse, a heartbeat, yeah, I'm not selling that this is a completely transformed unit, uh, but it's one that with the um, you know a little bit more time for some of those younger guys to develop, like a like a Brady Scott, like a Babyon Johnson, Jawan Williams, those are redshirt juniors. But the last two, but but both of them were uh, were hurt for a good majority of the start of their careers. So uh, just more time for them to be healthy and gel, uh, and plus the addition of Randy Clements and Kendall Briles. I just think that group is a few more steps to being at least functional than it was a year ago. Uh, you're just trying to be a little bit better than last year as a realistic part of that. And, and to me, I wasn't sure if they were going to reach that uh, at the start of camp. And, and by the end of it, I think that this is going to be a, you know, what, not an F group. It may be a, a D minus or even, you know, can get to like a C minus uh, group if, if things go well. But it's, it's one that can maybe be uh, serviceable in, in some context. All
1: right. Biggest disappointment.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with the linebackers in general and specifically the I'm going to go through for the, all the linebackers across the board. You know, we are seeing that that hybrid scheme, three, four, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and in some ways, like I'm with Chris, there's a lot of question marks. I've told I was told that the pass rush was maybe a little bit better than than we were initially led to believe. But uh, it's an unknown. I don't know what Janarius Robinson is going to do as a starter outside or if it's Joshua Kando. He was hurt. Joshua Kando was hurt and out for most of camp. Uh, so that's one of the edge rusher positions, one of the new linebackers, quote-unquote, in the scheme that we don't know about. And then inside, I thought this would be a lot deeper group, a lot more athletic than it was a year ago. Uh, Julio McCray did have a really quiet camp. Uh, Emmett Rice had a pretty quiet camp. I, I don't know if it's going to be a markedly better group or not right now, and, and I thought going into preseason that it was going to be a no-brainer better. Uh, it wouldn't be a weakness this year. Uh, I'm more on the fence about that now as we enter the season.
1: Okay, that's fair. Um, let's move it on to Chris' biggest off-season addition. I mean, you wouldn't that fall under Brian Roberts for you? It
0: could be it could be player or anything. oh is, you, is there for, a bigger? Co- has
1: a coach made a bigger impact than Ryan Roberts? For me, and I'm going to
2: pimp my article here for a minute. It's the addition of Browse and Clement, the the two some coming in together. Two guys, one brain, same logic, same system, completely understanding of one another. FSU desperately needed that. A year after a mass confusion on the offensive side of the ball, that led to guys not believing in the coaching staff, not believing in what they were being asked to do. All that's gone. They've got a guy who has a clear path, a clear tactic of how he wants to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. And the guys he's working with, especially his O-line coach, have a clear understanding of that. And I think Dugan's to a lesser degree has been a God sent him, worked really well with those two guys. Dugans is a really good receivers coach. His guys really like playing for him. And him and Brown seem to have a really good uh, kind of a working relationship that just, it jives. It doesn't seem like it's contrived or they have to work real hard at it. It just seems to come kind of natural.
0: Josh muted himself. I'm fairly confident. I did. I yeah. was throwing it to you. That you could answer <laughs> I'm not a team player. Come on. Um, the same question for me. It's going to be a really short answer. Uh, I agree with Chris. I think the the Bryles-Clements combination, Bryles in general, but getting Randy with them too yeah. is a really big uh, a big addition. And what Chris's story sums it up really well. You guys yeah. should read it on Knowles247.com. Synergy, yeah. baby.
1: I agree with you guys because there's the pieces are still there with Cam Akers and Laybourne and DJ Matthews and Tamari and Terry. Trey Mckitty. I mean, the pieces are there. They just got to get it together. Um, so I agree yep. with each of you. What uh, this is to Chris, which has been, which has been the most fierce position battle this camp.
2: It's probably Mike Arnold, Dante Lucas. We've seen them both get a healthy amount of reps with the first team, and I think it's truly a competition. I think it's a competition that's going to be ongoing into the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as things seen this past week, I would say Mike Arnold probably your guy that's getting a nod as a starter against Boise. But I think that leash is incredibly short, and I think they trust what Dante can do and believe in Dante, especially long-term. I think they're just, again, trying not to hand the
1: keys to a guy without making him work to earn it. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, do you agree with that, or is it another position stuck out to you?
0: I was going to agree with it, but because I've agreed so much with Chris, I just want to change it up a little bit. Uh, One position battle that ended up being a little bit more interesting than we thought was Ricky Aguayo at kicker, but not with who you thought, uh, not Ryan as it Fitzpatrick Fitzgerald uh, ended up being Parker Grothus uh, He's a walk-on kicker, a sophomore. I, I don't even know if I'm saying his last name correctly, uh, but, but he ended up apparently having a really nice camp. Parker did and, and push Ricky. And I assume it's going to be Ricky as the starter. I, I I'm not super worried about that, but uh, the walk-on ended up uh, pushing Ricky a little bit more and, and made it kind of interesting. So yeah, that's where we are in the dog days of summer guys, kicker position battles.
1: Yep, that's uh, Brendan <laughs> thinks is the most fierce battle. There's a lot about <laughs> Brendan. Um, all right, let's go to the deepest position group. Chris, which position is the deepest?
2: Probably the receivers. Even though Kendall Brow says that he would like one or two bodies, they've got 10 guys who are real capable of doing something for them. I think from a depth standpoint, I'm talking guys that you can run out there in a game situation, and they're going to give you a return on investment. They're going to do something for you. So I think – I think that receiver group is really good top to bottom weakest
1: position group
2: or thinnest, Uh, thinnest weakest. uh, It's kind of a battle for me between the O-line and the linebackers. O-line because you know, after that second team, it falls off a cliff. It's a lot of really, really young guys. You don't want to have to put them in a game situation yet. And there's still some question marks with that second team, especially at the tackle positions. And then with linebackers, we know how painfully thin they were a year ago. And like, uh, my cohort here, Brendan talked about earlier, some guys left a little something to be desired in camp. But you know, would and Jackson are clearly really good first team guys and to Kalen Brooks, you know exactly what he is, but you're kind of looking for more from those three freshmen. And that's asking a lot. They're new guys. They've only been here for a couple months respectively, but also a guy like Emmett Rice, you're looking for a lot more from, and that group is one of those that, that, you know, they were picked on a lot last year. So it's still a concern to me. So uh, I guess it would be
1: kind of a bit of both of those units for me. What about you, Brendan?
0: Oh, uh, which one am I starting with? I'm sorry. You can out. talk
1: about the deepest or, or who you feel best about and move let's on. Go, let's go,
0: yeah, let's go, let's go with the deepest. I think it's a defensive backfield. And I say that because there was this epiphany that I had when I was watching practice sometime last week. And I was just like, holy shit, this group is filled with just guys who look like D one FBS, you know, power five starters. Uh, and we know that Sanford Samuels and Asante Samuel are, are both good cornerbacks and, and have the potential to be a really, really dynamic uh, cornerback duo. Levante Taylor's apparently had a nice camp. Uh, he had a little bit of a, an injury bug in the middle of it, but has been fine uh, to, to end camp. And he looks really good at safety, apparently. And just the depth, like this recruiting class that they signed this past cycle with Travis Jay, with Akeem Dent, with Brendan Gantt, Raymond Woody the third is a guy who doesn't get talked about a lot. And I think he's going to, going to at least be a specialist and a sub package guy this year. Like they have so many options. Carlos Becker is apparently healthy and, and practicing consistently for the first time. And uh, it feels like for, for my entire tenure at Knowles 24 seven, it's really the first time since his freshman year that he's been active, but there's so many, and I know I'm forgetting other names too. Kyle Myers, Cyrus Fagan. These are depth pieces right now. Uh, it's a really deep unit. Uh, Hampson and I'm just, I'm naming off guys because uh, the potential of of combinations they have with the talent that they they can field it's really really intriguing. We have to see that the the starters are as good as advertised, uh, but I think the depth is really good. I think that position group has the upside to be the best on the, on the entire roster.
1: Fair enough. Um, one last question to each of you. I didn't say uh, weakest. So, oh, go ahead. What's your weakest?
0: I don't know. Um, oh, offensive line. Uh, and I I, I want to be consistent. Like I know, I know I said it was one of the, <laughs> the it was one of the most uh, improved. I I actually just forgot what it was, Josh, because I had it made up in my mind like an hour ago. But I I think the offensive line was a pleasant surprise uh, and Mm -hmm. certainly better. But I think this shows how far the offensive line is coming from. Uh, So them even being moderately improved uh, still presents. Is your biggest
1: concern, uh, just to expound on, on what you guys think about the offensive line and why you're concerned, is it is it bodies? Is it numbers or is it talented? Is it talent? You know? Yes. It
2: yes. It's all of the above. It's bodies at tackle, it's talent at tackle, it's experience at tackle, and it's just, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to refill your depth chart and figure it all out, and, you know, FSU did a poor job of that in recent years, and it's come to roost now, and you're, you're having to deal with it, and it's not something they can fix in the short term, and they never could fix it in the short term. A guy like Ryan Roberts is a short-term fix, but FSC needed, needed multiple of those types.
0: And isn't like usually – this is not a this is a rule of thumb, I guess, guys. But like for me, when I'm trying to project like how a, how a team is going to be, how a position unit is going to be, I try to look at historically, right, like how they did the year before, how they've done their entire careers, what their like arc is. Yes, exactly. Uh, and usually, not always, but usually the unit or the team with like the less amount of unknowns that has the most stability and the most proven commodities is going to be the best. Because you mm-hmm. know what it is. There's less variables. And with FSU's offensive line, the starters have a ton of variables. Like, is Jawan Williams really that much improved? Uh, is he over-the-shoulder injury? Is Babyon Johnson going to stay healthy for the first time in his career? Uh, there's question marks from left to right with the starters. And like Chris said, I mean, you're, you're talking about you know, the potential backup left tackle is like a 270-pound redshirt freshman. Uh, there's just a lot of question marks all across the board. And while we think the offensive line is going to be better, and I do, uh, it's still not enough for me to say, like, yeah, this is this is a, a unit I feel great about right now.
1: Okay. Well, for the final question, I want to give the offensive line a break. We, we've beaten up on them <laughs> enough. So, outside of offensive line, Chris, give me your biggest unknown entering the 2019 season. FSU's ability to produce a pass rush. Yeah. 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 That's very fair. I uh, think, Brendan, I, I don't think anybody would disagree. Maybe even a bigger concern than offensive line.
0: Only because no, we know offensive line is going to be
1: a concern no matter what, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: right,
2: but F- <laughs> yeah. F- FSU needs to be good at offense. They need to make a drastic yeah. improvement at offense. I think they can survive a pass rush that is mediocre. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't be bad because bad makes your secondary look bad, even if it's talented. But they can survive mediocre because the other talent, the offense can't go anywhere if the O-line can't get it done. So for That's- me, it's so O-line would be one and then pass rush would be two.
0: It is kind of the dirty little secret, like from last year's roster. If you look at like the production, the offensive line or sorry, the defensive line didn't get a ton of pressure. Like it was Brian Burns. And then after that, it fell off a cliff and he's about 30% of your sack production from last season. And it wasn't a great pass rush in general. They just had a great pass rusher on the team. So uh, Josh's point, like you do have, like there is merit to it. I don't know though, if I can go as far to say like, it's a bigger concern based on what the offensive line was last season, which was, you know, the worst in power five.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, they're they're both up there. Uh, it's never good to have major concerns in the trenches either. But here we are.
0: I have a here, question. You know, I have a question for both of you guys before we wrap up. Go Ready ahead. for this? All right. We're recording this. We we've, we've been transparent ahead of time, right? Uh, before uh, before we know for sure officially that James Blackman is named the starter, we've been told that's going to happen. When and how? do we think it's going to happen? Like, are we expecting this to be a Monday press conference deal? We're running this on Monday afternoon. Do we think it's going to be popped out on social media or like a press release uh, Sunday evening as we're recording this now, when's this going to happen and how
2: I would think it would be a, uh, social media slash press release coinciding with one another kind of similar to Jordan Travis waiver situation.
1: Mm, I'll take the press conference. I'm, Willie I'm, does
0: it in person. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go with you, Josh. I think so, too. Chris is being very pessimistic this evening. I don't like it.
1: Sure, uh, We've just though? been uh,
2: – ambush might not be the right word, but we've been <laughs> sort of uh, – we we have certain people who are working against us having productive jobs. They they want to oh. act like they're not competing with us, but they are competing with us. Um, so we're doing with of that. So, yeah.
0: See, see
2: I'm, Josh. I'm a bit, I'm, I'm a bit in my feelings about this. I'm a little emotional about it, but I just got that feeling they might be out, screw us a little bit.
0: So, mm. yeah. See, Josh, I asked it because I knew it was going to evoke a, uh, I knew it was going to evoke an emotional response from someone here. I wasn't sure who, but I knew there was going to be some emotion stirred up from right. it. It worked out. Perfectly.
1: Seasons here, emotions are running high. When let's go. They all just right. want to make us
2: uncomfortable
0: so we all compete at a really high level when we come out. <laughs> like, you now, know, making them uncomfortable is a good thing. Let's wait until the very last minute to announce this. Hey, guys, let's stop this before we get too salty, all right? It's been fun. It's been a really positive podcast. Anything else before we uh, wrap this up?
2: Nope. Just hit stop. Don't say sticking the landing. People are all over that at this point.